We are in Pasha Yitro, and um, what we're going to do, uh, there are two sort of subject matters that we're going to deal with. Um, first will be the chronology of Matan Torah, which is how, you know, what, what actually happened when and at what time. And it's really good when you're, exa- when you're examining a text like this or anything in, in, within a historical context to also know the time of the year and the month and how long that period lasted, what, what it looked like, because you get a better feeling when you just read through a text, you, you might be looking through, um, in, in a single Pasha, you might be looking through uh, two months or in, the, or in the case of two Pasha uh, with the plagues, a year. You just have no concept of the time element, and it's really important to get that. And it gives, it also makes that event very real and very historical. So, uh, in dealing with the chronology of Matan Torah, the giving of Torah, it's Mount Sinai. And then I'd like to wrap up, if there's time in, in the class, to address the issue of Moshe's sons. You hear nothing of him. You hear literally nothing of them. There's some things that have been brought up in Midrash about them. Uh, and I, I want to bring it up because there is really a very profound lesson in it. Now, most of us, our children are grown and out of the house. Some of, some of you guys don't. You still have children at home. But um, very insightful thing that was brought up in my study that I just had never looked at the angle, primarily because... I didn't know why the sons weren't mentioned. And the Midrash is not that clear either. There is some speculation, and so we'll deal with that. The chronology, once again, we're going to go back. First things started, it says on Rosh Kodesh Sivan, which means at the beginning of the month, right? Rosh Kodesh Sivan, the first day of the month of Sivan is starts in June. So I want you to picture in your mind, You know, it's going to be, compared to the Gregorian calendar and the Jewish calendar, it can be up or back by a few days. But let's just say in general, if it was going to be Rosh Kodesh Sivan in 2016, it'd be like June the 6th or something like this. This is the first day of the month. This is when the Jews arrived at Mount Sinai, which is found in chapter 19, uh, verse 1. It says, on the third month of the Israelites' departure from the land of Egypt, on that very day, they entered into the wilderness of Sinai. Um, it is also pretty interesting when you're reading the text, and if you really want to study, and it helps you out a lot, to go through and look at what all interesting things happened in Jewish history on those same days. Really interesting stuff. I mean, you see correlations between them all. Uh, early the following morning of the 2nd of Sivan, Moses ascended to Mount Sinai for the first time. So this would be around June 7th or so. He was instructed to offer the Jews the opportunity of accepting the Torah and to become a holy people. And when he says, uh, be holy as I am holy, right? Uh, The Haftorah portion, which is the prophets, is an amazing text in which the prophet sees the train of Hashem's glory and, and here's the words, holy, 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 right? you remember this? An incredible text. If you could go read the text, and the prophet feels so unworthy to be in the presence of the holiness of Hashem. That same day, Moses descended and assembled the elders and passed on the message. The entire people responded in unison, and they said this in chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. 
It says, Moses came and summons the elder of the people. I'm reading from Onkelos. He arranged before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him, and all the people answered together, and they said, and that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses brought back the people's words before the Lord. The, on the morning of the 3rd of Sivan, which would be at this point now 8th, day of June, this, this coming uh, June. So if we're going to put it in this year, it'd be like June 8th. Moses again ascended to the mountain to bring the people's response to God. This would be chapter 19, verse, verse 8, according to Rashi. And on this occasion, he, told that he was told that God would speak to him from a thick cloud in the presence of the people, which would establish his authority and authenticity of Moses' prophecy forever in verse 9 of chapter 19. Uh, and if you guys would like to have a copy of this, I've got a link on um, that I can send to you that that'll take you to the PDF for it. Um, Moses descends, as well as his subsequent con- uh, conversation with the people, is not described in the verse, but is it inferred to by Rashi from God's response? The people insist on hearing from God directly, according to Rashi uh, nineteen nine. The people wanted to hear from God. This great opportunity. Little did they know what they were going to get themselves in. On the 4th of Sivan, which is the next day, Moses returned to the mountain to bring the people's request to God. So already we have him going up and down the mountain within a, just a few days, right? So it's, that's why when someone asks, if you ask, well, how many times did he go on to the mountain? Well, you're going to realize it's multiple number of times. It's not just two times or three times. Uh, it's multiple numbers. So, he ascends uh, at the same ascent mentioned in Parshas Mishpatim, where we learned that Moses, Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and the elders were all to ascend, but only Moses was to approach the cloud. This would have been found in the 24th chapter of Mishpatim 24 and verse uh, 1 and 2. So if you want to mark that down, you can go look at that again, but I'll turn to Mishpatim real quick. And then he said to Moses, come up before the Lord, your, you, Aaron, uh, Nadav, and Avihu, and the 70 elder, elders of Israel, and bow down from afar. But only Moshe could come up the rest of the way. During the same encounter, God informs Moses that if the people insist on hearing for themselves, they must purify themselves for three days, the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, in order to receive Torah on the 6th. Now, this is when they all uh, wear robes of linen. They have no sexual relationship. The laws of Nidah is explained to them, laws of purity. Uh, this is where they're, they're bringing themselves up to the highest level to be able to hear from uh, Hashem. There's a story told in Midrashim about um, a young man that is getting married, and his father is so excited, the, the uh, father's daughter-in-law, beautiful young woman, a righteous woman, and he feels so bad because the hall that he has for the wedding is just run down. It doesn't look good. It's not the best. And he says, we don't have time to put off the wedding for months to get this hall built, so I'm just going to dive in and just try to do everything I can to fix it up. And so he spent several days with some workers and spent a lot of money on this hall to fix it back up and to beautify it. 
And people couldn't believe that this was the same building they used to look at. And they asked him, you know, what, why are you putting so much effort into this thing? It wasn't really that necessary. And he says, no. He says, you have to understand uh, my future daughter-in-law and my, hus- my son, uh, we needed to prepare a place for them to be presented in. Something needs to be presented in. So in this idea is that, that the preparation that takes place in Israel's lifetime continues to go on. <clears throat> Because we hear about laws of purity, later on we'll study, that if you have uh, blood that's fresh flowing, you can't go into the temple, you can't go to the, to the Mishkan or the tabernacle. Uh, if you have a seminal uh, ejection, you, can't, you have to wait a certain period of time and go into the mikvah. I mean, it's very detailed. Why was it so detailed? It's, but Because purity was very important. And they learned about purity in physicality so that they can understand the power of it in spirituality. Does that make sense? Uh, in, in Jewish life every day, you get up and you wash your hands, for example, and you take the cup, and as you wash your hands, you say a blessing uh, to Hashem about having clean hands and purifying yourself. And we understand that the water has no magic in it, okay? So it's not the magic, it's the power of you saying, I'm waking up in the morning, the first thing that I'm going to do is stand before you in the process of purification so that I can prepare myself for this day. I mean, that's a, a very beautiful thing. During the same encounter, God informs Moshe that the people insist on hearing. We said that, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we said that. This was on the 4th, 5th, and 6th in order to receive the Torah. They approached the mountain during, uh, during the Revelation and for, uh, for how long the restriction is to last, this would be in 19 verses 10 through 13. Now, still on the fourth day of Sivan, Moses descends and informs the people of the command to purify themselves for three days. According to uh, Rabbi uh, Yose Moshe, interpreted the three days as complete days, delaying the giving of the Torah until the seventh of Sivan, which would have been found in chapter 19, verse 14 and 15. This is the same uh, conversation with the people described in Pashash Mispatim, when Moshe reminds the people of the seven Noahide laws and the laws receiving of Marah. The people agreed to keep all of God's commandments. Moshe writes down all of the Torah, from Genesis until this point, which would be found in chapter 24 of, of uh, uh, Shemot, uh, verse 3 and 4. Now in the fifth of Sivan, Moshe builds an altar at the base of the mountain. So while they're preparing and purifying themselves, on the fifth, Moshe builds this, this uh, altar at the base of the mountain. The offerings are made. Moshe rega- uh, reads the, uh, the book he has written to the people who respond, we will do... And we, uh, we will hear the blood of the sacrifices is sprinkled on the altar on behalf of the people, which is found in uh, chapter 24, Mishpatim, and also uh, references 9, verse 19, verse 11. And as you see, there, this thing sort of jumps back and forth. This is not a, uh, like a history book. You understand it's written within uh, the context of ideas that it needs to transmit. Now let's go to the next day, which is the 6th of Sivan. Or on the seventh, according to Rash, uh, Rabbi Yose Moshe, uh, Yose, Moshe leads the people to the base of the mountain, 
we are informed that parenthetically that during Matan Torah, the people are destined to hear only two commandments directly. As for the others, Moshe will speak and God will amplify his voice. We mentioned this the other day that they heard all of the Torah spoken at one time, an instant download. And it was so incomprehensible that they, it, it scared them to death. And, and that's why they were like, Moshe, you, you go figure it out and then come down here and tell us. But they needed this experience because it legitimized Moshe in their eyes. They realized that this man is hearing from God. He's not making it up. God reveals his throne upon the mountain and summons Moshe. Moshe is told to warn the people again not to approach the mountain. They made barriers around the mountain. Moshe protests that the people have already been warned. God tells him that he must do so nevertheless. Then he is to return to the mountain. Aaron and the firstborn, who are the priest at this point, are to approach each according to his level. So that meant that Aaron could go higher than the firstborn, who had to stay at one level lower. And then, of course, the people had to, had to couldn't even touch the mountain. Moshe descends in chapter 19, verse 25, and passes the information on. Passing what information? That was, don't approach the mountain. Don't come close. You'll be stricken dead. I mean, it's like uh, uh, the idea of touching the Ark of the Covenant, basically, or touching the throne of Hashem. Moses returns to the mountain, all together with Aaron, Nadav, and Abahu, and the elders, it is described in Parshas Mishpatim during Metan Torah, Nadav and Abihu, Abihu and the elders gazed inappropriately. Their punishment is postponed into another occasion in order to not distract the giving of the Torah. This is found in chapter 24 of Mishpatim, verse 9 through 11. And then the giving of Torah itself, the Ten Statements, what are the Ten Statements? The Ten Commandments, is found in... Um, chapter uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse uh, 1 through 14. The people hear two commandments that are explained, but then are overwhelmed and request that Moshe tell them the rest himself. Found in chapter 20, verse 15 through 17, and also there's another location, 1919 of, of Yithro. Um it says, the shofar blast grew stronger and stronger. Moshe spoke, and from, bef- from before the Lord, there was uh, answer to him with a voice. And the Lord revealed upon the mountain of Sinai, on the top of the mountain, the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moshe went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, warn the people, lest they break through before uh, the Lord to see, and many of them fall. So this is a very powerful moment. At this point, six days have been mentioned. At this point, only six days have been mentioned. During which the cloud is presented on the mountain before Moses is, in, uh, is invited to enter. Rashi brings two opinions. A, these are precise six days, and the seventh being the day of Matan Torah, meaning that on the Shabbos the Torah was given after which Moses is invited to enter the cloud. Or B, these six days begin after Metan Torah, the giving of the Torah, um, and comprise of the first six days out of the 40 which Moses spends with Hashem, found in Mishpatim 
24, 15 through 18. This is according to Rashi. This ascent took place in the seventh of Sivan, uh, according to Rashi, which is found in 32, 32nd chapter, verse 1. Moses remains on the mountain for 40 days and nights, according to Mishpatim 24, 18. During these 40 th- days, Moses receives the law, commanded at the end of Parshat Yitro, and the bulk of the Parsha in Mishpatim. So now he's on the mountain. So 40 days from, from let's say, um, so from the 13th of June, 40 days brings us to what? Can you get an idea? Close to September something, right? So we have 40 days. What are we getting close to? So August, September, October. So what happens during those months? Rush, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, right? So all of this is going to dovetail right into the activities of what's going to happen in Yom Kippur. And what you're going to find is Yom Kippur becomes an important part of helping the people remember that they had sinned and the sin of the golden calf and that the judgment that was going to come and then repentance that took place, and God spared the lives. It's a powerful uh, thing that is taking place. And from that point on, these days become commemorative days to remember, even to this day. So it says, um, the end of the 40 days is described in Parsha Ki Tisa, when he is finished speaking, God gave Moses the tablets, is found in 31st chapter of, of Shemot, or Exodus, uh, 18. It says, on the 16th month of Tammuz, the people came to the mistaken conclusion that Moses was not going to return. So what they decided to do is we'll take and build a golden calf and we will, we will look to it as for leadership. Right? They were still praying to the creator of the universe, but they were looking as the focal point, the calf to be the focal point of their of their. Uh, of their desire for God and desire for direction and leadership. And others, many of the sages of blessed memory will say that these were the uh, Egyptians that came out of their sorcery, etc. Which, to be honest with you, sounds a little bit more natural. I, I just can't imagine the regular Israelite people leaving their idolatry to go do that at the foot of the mountain. So that's very, very possible. We know that later on there's about 3,000 of them that are killed uh, after this is over with. And it's after the test when the cow is grind down in the powder and they have to drink it. And it says that their stomachs rotted or, you know, distended and rotted. And so the priest had to go put them out of their misery. Um, the Israelites grew a, a get up early in the morning on the 17th of Tammuz, which is, uh, would be September, uh, to worship the calf. Verse 32, uh, chapter 32, verse 6. God tells Moses to descend because the calf of the calf, Moses descends, cast down the tablets and break them. He grinds up the calf and makes the people drink it. The Levites are ordered to kill the idolaters. This is found in 32, 32nd chapter of Mishpatim, verse 7 through, I mean, uh, 7 through 29. Um, no, actually, that's uh, Ketitza, yeah. On the 18th of Tammuz, Moses ascends to the mountain to seek an atonement for the people. God says that from now on, the divine presence will not be with them. Moses informs the people. Moses continues to speak. 
with God in his tent, which he has moved out of the camp. Interesting. God says, I, my spirit will not hang around and linger amongst idolaters. So Moses moved his tent uh, outside of the camp. I find it interesting that that is where the Gerim is located, is outside of the camp. It's an interesting observation. I don't really have, would not know what to say, but that's where the people of the nations were, were outside of the camp. Moses pleads with the divine presence, should go with them, God agrees. Moses asks to see God's uh, essence, kavod. Remember when he goes up and says, let me just see, let me see your essence. Because at this point, all he saw was smoke, lightning, heard shofar sounds. Moses once ascends the mountain, he's instructed in the 13 attributes of mercy and warned that he must not make covenants with the Canaanites. Now, it is interesting. He wants to, Moses wants to see the essence of God, and God says, here are 13 attributes of my mercy, and it's, it's enumerated in uh, chapter 34. So if you really want to know God and to see his essence, because he has no form, you have to know him through Torah. You have to know him through his attributes of mercy. That's the only way. We, the only thing that we understand about him is what he tells us about him. So that's just the way it is. Rashi does not inform us of the date of the ascent, but he does tell us that Moshe ultimately descended on Yom Kippur. Why, Yom, why, why is Yom Kippur so uh, important? Why does he descend on, on Yom Kippur? What is Yom Kippur about? Just somebody give me a hint. Say again. Atonement. Correct. Very, very, that's why that's called Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Because here they sinned. Judgment was going to befall them. Moshe uh, begged God. He says, if you're going to blot them out, blot me out of, out, of, out of your book as well. Very powerful argument. And then the argument says, well, if you destroy all of these people now, what you, the, the very prophecy of, of Pharaoh is going to come true. Now, he used really a very good argument against the creators. Like, you kill them, they're going to all think that you, you are a destructive, evil person. And so, of course, God brings uh, atonement to them through the Day of Atonement. This would be on the 10th month of Tesri, uh, found in uh, 3429, and we're told that he was on the mountain for 40 days. Rashi informs us that during the second period uh, on the mountain, the building of the tabernacle was commanded. So we want to say, okay, when did God tell him how to build the tabernacle? It was during the second period. But he does not specify at what point. Rashi doesn't specify at what point. It it seems that if he would have placed um, the uh, Parshiot of Truma, uh, let's see, at the beginning of Ketzitz, Ketisa, yeah, Ketisa, in 25, 1 through 31, 17. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to move on from that. Okay, uh, we got uh, two more points, and we'll be wrapped up. Uh, from this point on, the verses are in chronological order, starting with verse uh, chapter 34. Moses is instructed to carve uh, the words on, ta- on the tablets. He remains on the mountain for 40 days and, and nights, and he did before, as he did before, he descends with the second tablets on Yom Kippur, and his face is glowing in, with a radiant light. He had been in the presence of Hashem. Now, I would like to wrap up this lesson with the question of why are Moshe's sons not 
mentioned in the text. And there's a careful, there's a careful um, idea that I want to examine. We know that Moshe was, uh, had left his wife and sons with his father-in-law when he went to Egypt. And the reason why he did that is Aaron, when he said, who are, who are these people? He says, my wife and sons. He's like, Psh, you don't want to take them and make them slaves. We're there to try to get people out of Egypt, not bring them to them. So Moshe leaves his wife. And according to Midrashic sources, he gives his wife a get, or like a divorce. So if he doesn't return or something happens, she could remarry, remarry without any problem. Um, she's there. And then in Parshas Yitro, which is this text this, this week, we hear how Yuthrot shows up with uh, Zipporah and her two sons. And notice, I think you mentioned this, didn't you? That it doesn't say Moshe's sons, it says Zipporah's sons, right? Some dynamic has, has shifted. And we know that the sages of blessed memory, there's a debate, there's a bit of a debate, as to when did Yuthrot show up? Did he show up? Before the giving of Torah, or did he show up after the giving of Torah? Because there's opinion on both sides. One says, no, he came before the giving of Torah. He stayed through the giving of Torah. And, you know, later on is when he decided to leave. There is good argument. And I think the argument is found based on the sons. Let me explain this. The sons show up. After the giving of Torah, they don't see the thunder. They don't hear the shofar. They don't see the lightning. They don't hear the giving of Torah. And therefore, when they came and finally settled in, it wasn't that big of a deal. They just weren't that interested in study. They had not had a Sinai experience. Follow me. They didn't have a Sinai experience. When Moshe prays and asks Hashem to give him a suitable leader to transfer power to before they were to go into Canaan, he was hoping his sons could do it, but God rejected them, according to Midrashic literature. Why did he reject them? Because they had not studied Torah. They weren't like Joshua, who spent all of his time in Moses' tent, studying all the time, constantly studying. His boys were just comfortable being at home. You know, they weren't bad kids. They just didn't really excel. So what it appears to be is that Yuthro show up, shows up after Torah is given. And then he explains to Moshe, you can't be doing it this way. I mean, you have people waiting in line for hours on end. This is how you should do it. And his sons are there. They're just disconnected from the whole thing. Why do I bring this up? Because a couple of you still have children that you still have contact with. Now, problem is, is once they're at a certain age older, you can't really drag them to the mountain. You understand what I'm saying? And maybe that was the case here. The boys were too old. You, Moshe couldn't force them to do anything. But the power of having your kids, your children, see a Sinai experience, to, find, to have their own Sinai experience is a very powerful one. The closest thing for most of us 
that our children are going to see is the radiance of the presence of Hashem in your own life. It's the closest thing they'll come to. They otherwise won't see it. Very much like Moshe's boys. Can you imagine their, their father's a holy tzaddik? King of, basically, the king of Israel at the time. And yet they were like, yeah, it's nice. My father's a tzaddik. It's a righteous man. They just didn't get it. Why didn't they get it? Because they had not had their Sinai experience. And I'm here to say that anybody who has a Sinai experience, and what do I mean by that, doesn't mean that you one day wake up and you're in Colorado and there's smoke coming off the top of a mountain. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is an individual purifying themselves and coming before the career of the universe and opening up your chmash. You say, show me. Show me, Hashem. Reveal to me your essence. Reveal to me your essence. And you read the words of the 13 attributes of mercy and you go, oh, there's only one true God. There's only one true God of heaven and earth. He commands all authority in heaven and earth. How could I not follow him and have that experience? If you don't open up the Torah and the text and open up your heart to engage yourself in a personal engagement with the creator of the universe, you're going to miss out. Your Sinai experience might be a single lecture that you listen as you're driving down the road or put on your iPhone, and all of a sudden you go, man, that's, that's right. But see, if I'm not listening to Torah, I'll never have that experience, will I? If I never open up a text and examine it, I'll never have that experience. I can come to Nativ three times a week and listen to lectures. Won't do you any good unless you intentionally say, I take responsibility to stand at the foot of the mountain and do what Moshe says. And now that is a powerful experience. That concludes this year. And so we can have a little discussion if you'd like.